Hello, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. It is Nick Zarrars, and as promised, I have the great and very insightful Flaky Locks to discuss our beloved Liverpool Football Club at a crucial point in the season. We've gone soccer-heavy here on the show the last few days. The Premier League season has 12 games remaining. Champions League, we are in the round of 16. We're reaching, we're reaching the gritty point in the soccer season part of the calendar here as the season begins to wind down. And Liverpool pulled a close one. And yes, I define beating the last place team in the entire league, Sheffield United, by only two goals. Uh, clawing one out. It was not an easy game to win. It took some fluky bounces, but Liverpool need those bounces to go their way the rest of the season. But before I get to the conversation with Blake, gotta circle back to the all-important housekeeping. Please, if you are not already, hit that little subscribe button if you're on Apple Podcasts, if you're on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Stitcher Radio, Audio Boom, any other platform for podcasts. Hit the little follow button. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Please go to the page where it has every single episode listed. Go all the way to the bottom. Scroll, 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 scroll. Past episode one, which I recorded on draft night when the Rangers took Alexis Lafreniere. Past that, there's going to be five clear stars. Hit that fifth star going left to right. The fifth one. All the way to the right. Leave a five-star review. Leave a written review, please. That would be appreciated as well. If you're not already, please follow the blog at Gotham SN on Twitter. Gotham Sports Network is the full web address. Add that to your bookmarks. Yes, people, still use your bookmarks. Check in on people making good content that want to help you either enjoy your sports teams a little more or make you smarter about your sports teams. Almost done with the Rangers blog I was working on. Almost done. As soon as I am done editing the pod that I recorded with Blake, that will be finished. Hopefully able to be published for... Wednesday morning after Tuesday night's game against the Buffalo Sabres. Jack Eichel, hey, how you doing? About the team, the Rangers should be looking to model their style of play after based on the talent they already have in-house. I've learned a little bit about pace of play, quality of play, zone entries, the little underlying things that go into making a sustainably good hockey team. But with all of that said, We're here to talk about Liverpool. We're here to talk about one of the most storied clubs in all of European football who currently sit in sixth place in the Premier League. They are 12 games remaining in this season, and there's ample opportunity for Liverpool to get back up into a Champions League spot. With that little bit of a tease, I will see you guys on the other side of the drop with Blake. What's going on in this game? Welcome on a colleague at Gotham Sports Network, an analyst for Spread Investor, one of the best football handicappers on Twitter who gives his picks away for free, college and NFL. I welcome the great Blakey Locks. Wow, thank you. It's very high praise. Hey, man, we, we had a really good football season, and I have to thank you for that. So I, I it was trying to help the people out. It was very good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. So. 
today we're here to talk about our beloved Liverpool Football Club at a, I won't say a turning point, because we kind of all have accepted that City's going to win the league at this point. It's just a matter of if Liverpool can get back into a Champions League spot. But there's a lot to talk about here. We're talking about a team in the middle of a season from hell. But let's start here. Let's start with what you and I were talking about yesterday of the I'm just really grateful we had such a good two and a half, three year run, whether even going as far as to say losing that Champions League final against Real Madrid, starting that being the point we're talking about for this frame of reference, just in relation to the other teams we grouped for, it was really nice to have this kind of sustained success from one of our teams. Yeah, so I'm a Knicks, Rangers, Mets, Jets fan. So you're the same except Giants instead of Jets. So you've had a, a little bit more success than me, even with the, the Giants Super Bowls. I've really had nothing. Um, college teams I root for uh, is is really nothing. And so I pretty much spent the first 22 years of my life just never expecting anything from any teams that I root for. Um, and that was pretty much my entire life until Jurgen Klopp came into my life. So, uh, the champions league, the premier league, those trophies, um, if I never win anything again in my life, which is entirely possible, um, like I will always be able to look back at those couple of years that run and just rewatch those games. I was going to say, I rewatch the, uh, second leg of the, the Barcelona Champions League at Anfield. I rewatch that like once a month, like the highlight highlights from that. It's just because it's all I have is, is that run. So I'm no matter what happens, I'm, I'm forever grateful. But um, I'm also optimistic we can we can win some more trophies in the next few years. That's kind of where I'm at as well. I, I know there's this sense of, well, you guys won the league last year. You didn't really defend your title. You're in danger of missing the Champions League altogether. At the same time, like, I'm realistic. It's not easy to win a Premier League. It's not easy to win a Champions League. Yeah, Liverpool had two Champions Leagues this millennia. They won one last, last, last decade, 2005. But Relatively speaking, when you're building a club the way Liverpool does, where they're reasonable financially, and yes, we're going to make fun of John Henry money laundering through the Red Sox a little bit later, but Liverpool have tried to build their club sustainably, fund a lot of their transfers through the selling of their own players. So I think that is one of the things I've really struggled to understand why I see so much Liverpool bashing on the timeline, so many people enjoying the fact they've been pretty mad this year. I mean, realistically speaking, this is the model other teams are going to have to copy. Not everyone has, you know, a multi-billionaire oil, oil state funding their transfers. So just my sense of frustration is also met with that little bit of solace like you were talking of. You can never take that away from us. The Origi corner taken quickly never can be taken away from us ever. You're never going to be able to tell me that wasn't insane. I That was one of the last days I was in college, my senior year of college, I was sitting in my senior seminar class. We're sitting around one of those conference tables. I'm at one end of the table with my laptop out. I've got three people behind me and we've got the game on mute. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, all right, we got to get one going into the half. If we get one before the half, we can make this a game in the second half. And little did I know I was going to have to sit there quietly during a seminar as that comeback was happening, 
to win the game on aggregate. And boy, was it not easy to sit there and pretend like I was paying attention. Yeah, it was, it was also my last semester of college when that was happening. And I believe I was supposed to be in class and I was not. And uh, <laughs> if you look at my, my grades from my final semester that might be reflected, I was watching too much Champions League, drinking Heinekens during, during weekdays. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Um, and it's something that I feel like even if we were to win again, any Champions League, win, win the league, anything again, it would be incredible and so much fun. And I'm sure there would be crazy moments like that. But I, that run of the Champions League then into the Premier League the next year through, obviously, you then had coronavirus, league gets shut down. But at that point, it was over already. As long as they allowed the league to end and didn't go null and void, which was ridiculous that people ever even suggested that. That's just Liverpool haters. Um, but that run is something that I think can never be like replicated, how special it was, just the the moment. Because it was, I mean, it's something that, like I was saying with other teams I root for, like the Jets, the Knicks, the Mets, like it's been so long since they won anything if they do it will be so much more special than it is for any other team which is kind of what it was for liverpool yeah they won the champions league in 2005 but still i mean it's 15 years in between titles in the premier league obviously 30 years so just that run is just i don't know can never be can never be replicated it was so special and it's worth repeating how like painfully mediocre what Liverpool was as recently as like 2015 like Klopp's first year that team he inherited from Brendan Rodgers had no superb talent on it and slowly but surely they made incremental signings bring in Bobby he's the first I won't say big signing because he wasn't that expensive but you bring in Bobby Firmino from Hoffenheim then slowly but surely you start accumulating more and more talent. You promote Trent from your academy a few years later. You sign Robertson from a team that's going down a division that got relegated. You sign Mane. You sign Salah. You sign all these guys who have top five league experience. Uh, there was a story in The Athletic a couple of months ago, right before they went out and panic signed uh, Davies and Kabak, because it was just about what Liverpool looks for in the players they transfer they look for guys who played in the top five leagues, meaning Germany, Italy, Spain, England, and France. They look for guys who are 25 or younger. They still have room to improve. And they look for guys who are going to cost less than $40 million because they're expecting guys that are that young to be still on, I won't say first contracts, but that's the way to think of it, similar to where you're paying a little bit less for a guy because you still think he has room to grow. And it took a while. That Liverpool team was not particularly good when Klopp got here. I mean, when I first started watching Liverpool, it was basically Stevie G and a bunch of guys. There was no one else. I mean, I wasn't in in on soccer yet the year Suarez went crazy and they almost won the league. I tangentially watched it. I hadn't picked Liverpool as a club yet. But again, we, we got to keep it all in rel relativity because, yeah, it sucks. They're not going to be able to defend their title. But again we won the title and we won a champions league uh, as recently as five years ago, Liverpool were like, you know, eighth or ninth in the table. 
Yeah, so when I first, I guess, officially became in a Liverpool fan was 2012, just because I had, I loved playing FIFA, mm-hmm. um, which I think is how a lot of Americans, kids our age and younger even get into the Premier League and, and soccer and is through FIFA because it's, I think, the best sports video game there is um, in like present day um and my i only had one friend who was like in high school who was like really into the premier league and he was a liverpool fan for whatever reason i don't even know honestly and so i was like well if i'm gonna get into this like i might as well just pick the same team that my friend roots for so that like we can watch matches together and stuff like that so that was 2012 so my the first player i remember being like watching and being like oh like this sport's awesome is actually Daniel Sturridge Mm -hmm. who I still say if he hadn't had his injury issues could have been like I mean he's not he wouldn't have been like Mo Salah but he could have been like a a serious like it it would have been very interesting to see if he would have stayed healthy what would have happened with that front three because he was I mean he was better than Firmino for many years until he started having his injury issues and then Firmino took over kind of that uh main spot up top and uh and yeah I mean so I I saw some of the Suarez years where it was just unbelievable and but still at that time it it was very casual like I I was like oh that's who I root for and like if I was with my friend I'd be like oh let's let's watch or like but I wasn't watching every match I wasn't like living and dying with with every minute like I do these days so it was really it really wasn't until probably the first the first Champions League run where we lost in the final which I'm sure we'll get to um where I was like started having the same feelings that I have watching Mets games Jets games stuff like where I was like oh this is like I'm all in um so I, I, I definitely saw some of those shitty teams with like, <laughs> I mean, Pepe Reina, Simon Mignolet, these goalkeepers that are just utter dog shit. And I mean, Al, Alberto Moreno at left back for years and uh, Skirtle and like the corpse of Jamie Carragher as the, the two center backs. Just, um, yeah, some really brutal times. But those, there uh, like 2017 2018 that was Klopp's first year right 2017 yeah. they went for the Europa Sala, League final yeah or uh yeah and then I mean so you see some of these teams and that was when every Liverpool match was like four to three and yeah. you just had to hope that they were on the right end of the four three you had the yeah 2017 season or Salah comes in has incredible I looked up this stats this morning just to refresh it he had 52 appearances in that season he had 44 goals and 52 appearances 15 assists so 59 accounted for 59 goals and 52 appearances which is just stupid he had Mane, Firmino, Origi was was playing really well off the bench he had Coutinho um but there were the obvious holes um in goal pretty much every spot on defense um Emery Chan was still playing like every other week, which is just a disaster as a 
defensive center mid. So, yeah, I saw some of those teams that were – a lot of those were, like, exciting to watch because they still had a lot of the attacking firepower, like Sturridge, Suarez, Coutinho, all these guys, but just could not play any defense whatsoever and just had no identity whatsoever was really the biggest issue, I think. Absolutely. And I know a lot was made of it last year because they they won the Premier League last year. And you got when a team wins a championship, you get the glowing coach profile. But a lot of the really interesting stuff I read about Klopp gave me some insight to how he's gone about trying to overhaul a team that was in a malaise for a long period of time. From about 2007 onward till about Klopp's arrival, there were there was the one really good year with Brendan Rodgers where they ended up finishing second that year in the Prem. But for the most part, they were in kind of a malaise. But he took those really traumatic losses, whether you want to talk about blowing a lead in the Europa League final to Sevilla, where Moreno just forgot how to play fullback for a, an entire game. And because they had no alternatives to sub him in, they just had to leave him in because there were no other fullbacks they could play at that time. You talk about them losing to Real Madrid in that final I think that final was in the Ukraine that match was played and then that night there's the video of Klopp drunk out with supporters at five in the morning singing you'll never walk alone being like all right we've lost but you got to take those traumatic experiences those really painful losses as building blocks as all right well we got this far before so that means we can definitely get here again and we can use that because I'll be honest going into that first Champions League run the one that was three years ago now I didn't expect Liverpool to get that particularly far because of, like you said, they didn't play a particularly great defensive game. I mean, you're talking about a team that was starting Lovren, Matip, uh, Clavon, who was an initial club signing. You're not talking about a particularly deep team, but they were able to create enough chances. And, you know, was Karius particularly good as your first team goalie? No, but he was better than Mignolet. And we saw it in that final. You saw all of the little pieces. For that first 10 minutes before uh, Sergio Ramos dislocated Salah's shoulder, you saw the the glimpses. You saw the, they could do this. I really felt going into that game against that insane Real Madrid team that was like worth like 700 million in transfers, like over the course of a Champions League run, you saw the potential. You saw the, these guys can do this, even though they're not as talented as Real Madrid is. I felt like they could have done it. Yeah, I was um, I was actually in Europe for that final. I was I went to Europe after graduating college with uh, a couple of friends, and well, a couple of my friends graduated college. I hadn't graduated yet, but I wanted to go with them, so <laughs> I went on this trip to Europe. Um, and I was in Budapest, Hungary, and. Uh, for the night of the final and so we went I found some like Liverpool like supporter event that was being held in Budapest and went to this and it was craziest thing ever and then the Salah injury happened which I think I think I can honestly say that Sergio Ramos is the athlete I hate the most on this planet I think for a little while it was Tom Brady just as a Jets fan, he made, I mean, he was dominated literally my entire life that I can remember and just made me miserable. So I just hated him, but he's now obviously 
not on the Patriots anymore and has just kind of become a more likable person. Um, and it turns out it was kind of the Patriots that made him be a dick and not him <laughs> yeah. really just like who he is. So Sergio Ramos, I despise maybe more than anybody. Am I allowed to say the word on this show? Uh, I'll say no. I'll say we got to have some lines. All right. Well, I didn't say it. <laughs> um, I mean, you can put the pieces together. I'm talking about Sergio Ramos. I just, he, I, I was so angry. Mo Salah is maybe the kindest, most loving, like caring person on this entire planet. If you see anything about him, like any inner, he's so soft-spoken. He's always smiling. He's always with his little daughter, who's like the cutest kid on the entire planet. And he's always so respectful and seeing him just in tears going off the field. I've never felt more like rage in my body, in my life of like, Mo, you're too sweet to do anything about this, but I will go out there and like murder (laughs) this guy. If you want me to, I will hop on a plane to Kiev and take this guy down. Yeah. But I, I agree. It was, People forget because Carius was so, such a disaster in that final and just like completely blew it. And then I think everybody was like, he just needs to go. Like he, he can never be here again, not even because of whatever skill level he has. It's just mentally he'll never be able to do it after that final. Um, but before that, I mean, he was, yeah, he wasn't Allison. He wasn't like, what we what we see now but he was really like a promising young goalkeeper and he was so much better than the last couple goalkeepers that we'd seen so it was like oh this is refreshing like this guy does make some some saves he's so much more athletic and like than the guys we've seen and then obviously he just mentally whatever I don't know what happened nobody probably will ever know except for him like whatever happened to him in that final but um yeah, I really did have belief. And it was a lot like that 2005 Champions League final um, where Liverpool was kind of, they weren't even like that good of a, didn't even have that good of a season in the Premier League. They were kind of just like um, kind of figuring things out, but just got hot at the right time and went on this run. And then it was the same in 2005 against AC Milan where AC Milan had Kaká and they had all like the most expensive players in the world um just like just like real did at the time and it was like but it, it, it's one game anything can happen and uh, but obviously carius had other other things in mind <laughs> so didn't work out yeah and I, we're relitigating the last few years of recent history just to kind of show like an appreciation that like blake and i both understand that well it would have been nice to have been able to run back the premier league again or Maybe they go a further this year in the Champions League. We'll talk a little bit about that because their match with Leipzig is next week, uh, seven days from now. Uh, they're up too well on aggregate, and in theory, they should be in decent shape going forward. But we're relitigating all of this as a – not as a penance because that sounds a little dramatic, but it really was kind of just a, all right, well, Liverpool's on. Let's see what Balotelli's going to do. Let's see what Benteke's going to do. Is Colo Torre actually going to play defense this week? Let's see. Is Martin Skirtle going to try and clothesline someone on a corner? Let's see what happens. But 
all of that is part of this story because you don't get the dramatic culture change of Jurgen Klopp if the Brendan Rodgers era doesn't end so disastrously, I will say. And that's all part of the story because in soccer, I'd say soccer and American football, they're the sport where the coach slash manager manages the matters the most because they have to set the cultural tone. They have so many decisions to make because you have so many players you have to manage to get into your lineup and that kind of thing. That team adopted Klopp's whole mentality of the always smiling, always giving other dudes hugs, always being supportive of people, no matter how bad they've been. Like even, like I said, mentioned the Moreno thing, the Carriers thing, Klopp was still like, I can work with this. We'll make this work. I'm not giving up on you just because you had one bad game willing to let guys make mistakes to learn. And that's an important part of coaching. And it's part of why I love Klopp so much is that he's got this infectious and lovable personality. Yeah. And it's, it's so obvious that he instilled that. And like, when you look at, like I was saying about Salah, I mean, I'm sure that's just who he is as a person. I'm sure that's who he was when he, when he got here. But when you look at Salah, Mane, Firmino, like those guys are always smiling, always giving each other hugs. I mean, Virgil van Dyke, who, if you were just to like watch him play, is one of the most terrifying men on the planet. He's like 6'4 and just built like a human statue and just like destroys people. But then you hear him talk and he's just like, he's just like, I just love playing. Like I just like it's I just love having fun like that's what I do I just go out and have fun and it's like that that culture is very much I think can't be and that's always in my opinion obviously the last this season's different it's just a, a runaway with with City and I guess last year was just a runaway with Liverpool but um the last three or four years it's really just been city and liverpool and then a huge drop off to everybody else in the premier league and obviously both styles have been wildly successful city i guess you could say more successful um but such like opposite styles um from the and it's from the manager on down when you look at Klopp he's so vocal so out there so honest and kind of open about what he's thinking and it, it so much translates to the team of just like this strong mentality and just just seemed to everybody just always having fun and and just loving what they're doing whereas with City you see Pep and again, like incredibly successful. So you can't say it's better to be one way or the other, although it's more fun to watch one or the other, in my opinion. <laughs> but Pep sits there with his scarf on and just sits there with his arms crossed in his chair pretty much the whole time and just watches. And you kind of see the same thing with the players. Like, yeah, there are a ton of wildly talented players. Some of the, the best players in the world are, are on that side. But it's just kind of like, I don't know. It seems so like calculated and like scientific almost like this is where the ball goes then here, then here, then here, then here. And obviously it, it works, but I think that's something we saw last season where you would watch city and they would be in a one, one match with in the 80th minute. And they would just kind of seem like, Oh, what we're doing isn't working. What are we supposed to do? And they would end up 
only getting a point out of that game. They would, they would draw. And that's, they had, they drew so many games last season against teams that just weren't very good, which is why they couldn't keep up with Liverpool. And you'd watch Liverpool and they'd be in the exact same situation, 80th minute, one, one game against somebody that they probably should be beating already. And you'd kind of be watching and you just like, so strange as like a fan, especially a fan of, like we we've said so many times, like losing teams, I would, it, there's 10 minutes left and they need a goal. And I would just, I wouldn't even really be worried. I'd be like, it's going to come. Like they're going to, they're going to get it. And then 86th minute, whatever, like something crazy happens and they get the goal and win because that's, that's the attitude they had too. It's like, we're going to get the goal. Let's just keep pressing, keep, keep going. Um, and, and it's gonna, and it's gonna work out. And it, and it did. And obviously, um, this season's been different for, for many reasons, but um, yeah, it was just, it, it's, it's not even a question if, if the Klopp mentality is like a reason why they won those trophies. I think it's a, a huge reason why. Absolutely. And you got to imagine that this is a particularly taxing season. We're going to start talking about this year specifically in a minute, but They've been through a lot. You got to remember, this team has essentially had more or less the same roster with one or two guys coming in and out for two and a half, three straight years now, where most of the team from last year, the team that won the Prem in 2020, was the same team that finished in second in 2019, where it was pretty much the same team aside you dropped in Allison and you dropped in Van Dyke. But other than that, from the 2018 to 2019, 2019 to 2020, essentially you're playing the same team across three competitions for three straight years. There's not a considerable level of depth because each of those guys in that starting 11 is so vitally important to one specific component of what they like to do. That high work rate, that pressing whoever has the ball, trying to force possession and then quickly counterattack. that, that adds up. There's a lot of miles on a lot of those guys. And we saw it this year. It, I'm not going to go out and say that they've had the worst injury luck I've ever seen because they played the same lineup for three straight years, but it's definitely part of it. Yeah. And going into this season, I mean, I, I, in my whatever official prediction, I said, I <laughs> thought city was going to win the league um, for multiple reasons. Obviously you can predict all these injuries that were going to happen, but there was so from from the time of, of losing um, that Champions League final to Real Madrid, I think from that moment, every single player who played in that game, which is a lot of the same guys that were are still on the team right now. I mean, it was Firmino, Salah, Mane, um, a lot of those guys, Henderson, obviously, and a lot of those guys immediately then had that chip on their shoulder of like, we don't want to have this feeling again. And even Klopp, I mean, which was the worry when we lost that final to Real Madrid is that was kind of Klopp's reputation when he came to Liverpool is he's an incredible manager. He has this great attitude and he, people love to play for him, but he loses what he does. It's what he did at, at Dortmund. And that was the worry is like, this guy just can't win the big game basically. Um, and I think even he was like, that's it. Like this, this is not happening to us again. 
And then obviously they had one of the best seasons in they had the best season in Premier League history where you don't win. Nobody's ever scored that many points and, and not won the Premier League. So again, it's like they they put together such a long, grueling season and just came away with nothing, um, which is the beauty and the brutality of the Premier League is you can play for eight months and be incredible and and just not quite be good enough and not get a chance for one more game against City. And if we beat them, we win. It's like, no, City was one point better this season, so they win. And that's just the way it is. So then going into that, that Champions League run, they were obviously already in the midst of when they when they lost the Premier League, but they still had that chip of we've still not won anything. And so they have the incredible comeback against Barcelona, beat Spurs in the final, win the Champions League. And yes, they get to lift that trophy, but now they have the they had like the great combination of now we know what it feels like to win we know we can win big trophies but we still have that chip on our shoulder of we didn't win the league yet and that's still what we really want to win and that's why you just saw them have just dominate the entire league um that season and win the whole thing and then obviously between covid and the league getting shut down and then there's a shortened off season where it's just like a couple weeks and then it's like we're playing again and you can I mean it's it it was not hard again the injuries is a different story but it was not hard to predict this type of season happening where it's like they they've spent the last two two and a half years with a lot of this like you said a lot of the same players playing day in day out and emotionally just like pushing themselves to the max through so many competitions going to multiple finals multiple stretches to the end of premier league seasons like with a chance to still win and um i mean it's just physically and emotionally i think everybody was just spent and um yeah i i said and this was before the transfer window closed over last summer i was like they need to sign center back depth is the one thing I said they needed to do and obviously that is the one of the big reasons why they've had so many struggles is they've had those injuries and they've had to put Henderson Fabinho at center back which messes up obviously defensively they're as great as they are as players they're not center backs they're not um it's not what they do best and then it messes up the midfield which in turn messes up what you're trying to do up top and so it's it's just a uh it's not surprising to, to see what's happened basically i expected some level of regression because they you know like you just said they played two amazing seasons back to back they won the league and then the year before they finished second at the crazy pace where they almost had 100 points as the second place team in the prem so i expected some level of regression because at some point it balances out. It comes back down, and you see it now. And on top of all that, you mentioned the short off season. You mentioned the fact they didn't really go out and sign anyone. The COVID restrictions, the limitations, restrictions on training, the limitations on restrictions on what these guys can do. I mean, you got to think about it. On a normal situation where a team has a shitty week or two, 
what do they do? They go out to dinner. They go to paintballing. They go to the movies. They do that kind of team bonding stuff to kind of get away from football to please their minds. And they can't do that. These guys, they lose a match. They have to go home. They just have to sit there and think about it until the next game, until training. And that's not even going to mention the fact that, you know, I don't know how many people know this. I know I know this because I'm a soccer head, but, you know, Klopp's mom died a couple of weeks ago, and he's been dealing with the the fallout of losing a parent, where his mom was the only parent he's had for most of his adult life. His dad died when Klopp was still playing professional soccer as a player. So you got to imagine the, dra- the draining of that. Just this past week, Alisson, their goalkeeper, his dad died. You're dealing with all of these compounding stresses on a team that's already emotionally drained, like Blake had just said. And it's not hard to realize why they haven't played particularly well. It's not that they played a horrendous. I mean, they've had a few individual bad outings, but wholesale, they're 12, seven and seven, 26 games into the season, 12 games still to go. There's plenty of time here, but it's worth repeating that a lot is happening. There is a lot going on in this season. Yeah, so I, w- I was going to mention that stuff that you just said. It has been like a – it's very like a cursed season is like I think the, the best way to put it between the injuries. I mean, you have Tiago is the one like flashy new signing they make and Virgil van Dyke is, in my opinion, the best soccer player on the planet. Um, may not get that love because he plays defense um, and doesn't score goals, but I think he's best player on the planet. So, and then in one match early in the season because of Everton's the dirtiest team on the planet. And that's all they, the only way they can win is by being dirty scumbags. They take out Van Dyke, best player on the planet and Tiago in the same match and Van Dyke out for the season. Tiago missed weeks, uh, months, and obviously that those that was such important time for him because he was so new to the club and like we said such a shortened off season he didn't really he was kind of just thrown into the the 11 and he was too good to not play mm-hmm. so it was kind of just like go you got to figure it out you got to find out how you mesh into this team and then he misses a couple months of training and playing and then it's like what is he supposed to do and then obviously more injuries gomez like Matip always injured so that's not surprising but all these guys getting injured like you said Klopp's mom passing away which she passed away and we didn't know for like weeks like it was when it was became public that she had passed away it was it became public when he couldn't attend her funeral and it was like oh she passed away like two or three weeks ago and nobody even knew about it and it's like so they've just been playing and, and nobody's even known that and then, like you said, Allison's dad passed, which was the most tragic story of all time. Um, just dove into like a was swimming and just never came back up. And then you've had, and this stuff is, I mean, in, in terms of a cursed season, you've had multiple like Liverpool legends die. This, I mean, literally today they announced uh, Ian St. John passed away, who's like an, an old school Liverpool legend. Gerard Houllier passed away uh, in November, who was like a legendary Liverpool manager from like before our time, like 2001. He won, uh, I think, six major trophies for Liverpool. Um, And so it's just been like a 
really just like a cursed season basically it was just a, a lot of terrible things happening and but like you said they're in fifth in the table right now sixth sixth, sixth yeah. i guess sixth but beat chelsea on thursday and they'll be tied for fourth um and i mean if you if you finish top four get into the champions league for next season and they're in the round of the 16 of the champions league right now with like you said earlier 2-0 aggregate lead and so barring blowing that you're you're in a good position to finish top four and you're in the final eight of the champions league and it's like yeah you're not going to win the premier league again and defend your title which obviously you'd love to do but with how cursed this season has been and all everything they've been through if they can somehow pull off something like that winning the champions league and or even just making it to a final and finishing top four and then get everybody healthy and realize you need to invest in some depth and make some new signings. And then I, there's no reason they can't come back and, and make a run at the premier league next season. So um, not, I really think it's just been like a cursed season. I'm not like, Oh, the, the run's over. Like we're dead by any means. Oh, absolutely not. That's why I like, I know that, soccer media in England is like American football media where oh is he going to get fired are they going to have to do this are they going to have to do that and I was just thinking to myself I'm like they went to two Champions League finals won one of them they went to the Europa League final and lost they won the Premier League for the first time in 30 years they've made the Champions League four years in a row they're not going to get rid of Klopp for four bad years they've turned the club over to him and Michael Edwards and that's really it Day-to-day-wise, Fenway Sports Group doesn't really have a presence at, at trading at matches, especially now because of COVID. They're not – John Henry's not going back and forth between here, the States, and England to go to matches, that kind of thing. They're not getting rid of Klopp anytime soon. He just signed that extension. They're not particularly worried. I, I'm not particularly worried about Klopp. I know I've read a few different things about how they haven't really adjusted their style of play to meet the – injury problems they've had they're still trying to play the way they have played the last two three years with their fully healthy roster and that's part of why they're not creating chances and as we transition to this conversation is talking about the present Bobby Firmino as good as he is as a nine at meeting a striker he's not a true striker he's more of a creator he likes to get other people involved and he plays off of other people well and because there isn't as much link up as much synergy as much chance creation his lack of goal scoring is looking a lot worse the fact they can't really score with any real consistency is a problem the fact that a lot of the time during some of these games where it's been close and I mean they have seven draws on the year a lot of the time it's just 50 60 crosses into the box and hoping someone can get ahead on it it is a fair criticism they they haven't adapted to their talent this year but at the same time at the same time I do want to say Klopp has earned the benefit of the doubt to stick with what has worked with for him. Yeah. I mean, Klopp's not going anywhere. Klopp is Klopp is going to be the manager through the end of his current contract, the extension he just signed. And then just to take any mystery out of it, he's already said like, 
I'm going to take a break when that contract is up. Like, so it, it's, he's going to be here through the end of that. We'll hopefully win a couple more trophies before he goes. And then hopefully Stevie G is going to come in and, and take the reins from him. That's the dream. Cause he's yeah. been doing incredible things uh, at Rangers just in, in Scotland and, and uh, in cup competition. He's just, he's been unbelievable. So bringing him home is the dream when, when Klopp's done. Um, but yeah, Klopp is, I mean, it's ridiculous. Anybody saying that he's like, is not doing like managing what, like, what is, What's he gonna there's, do? there's nothing you can do. And the injuries really have been like, it, it's, it's like the worst injuries they could have had based on the way they play. Like, yes, Mane and Salah are world-class as, as good as they come. But I think if it was Salah that went down instead of Van Dyke, I do think, although Salah is incredible, he's more replaceable. Because if you keep that, uh, keep the, the the back four the way it was, Gomez and Van Dyke stayed healthy, um, and and then you would still have Fabinho and Henderson in the midfield to feed balls forward, and you would just be able to put. Shakiri or whoever and not not gotten rid of Minamino and and just let those guys rotate on on that right wing spot I really think it would have been less of an issue than than this the center back injuries because what's that has done is you've had to play Henderson and Fabinho or just young guys who who don't have a lot of experience in those spots and what's that that has done to the the whole team is the whole team was based off of those guys were so good. The Gomez Van Dyke pairing with Allison and goal were so good. That's what allowed Robertson and Trent to push so far forward and be like the masterful creators they were. Whereas now they're kind of like supposed to be staying back a little bit more to, but they are now have been caught in this like weird middle area where like they're supposed to be defending more because the guys back there need more help but they know they're just like have been conditioned over the last two or three years to just push and so now they're like what should we do this should we do this and and yeah maybe that should be more defined I, I don't know if that's their issue or, or coaching issue or what but and then not having Hender Henderson and Fabinho in the midfield has just thrown the, the midfield chemistry and it's just messed everything up um so it, it, i really think the way they operate it was the worst injury they could have possibly had um was van dyke and then gomez to go along with it is just was made it extra brutal um but i i will say i think um and we were saying this when when scheduling this episode is i was saying like thank god we just had that sheffield uh, match yeah. against Sheffield United where they they looked really good one one two nothing and because they'd been on a, a four match losing streak going into that and I was like I'm gonna be much less angry seeing that and it's like you were saying about the crosses like Trent the last two seasons has been the best crosser of the ball on the entire planet for for two seasons um and this season it just seemed like there were so many games where 
they would just come up the side. Trent would give it to Salah. Salah would give it back to Trent and he would just like whip a ball in and there would be nobody there. And the ball would just run across and, and go out or whatever. And it was just like, why is this not working? It just didn't even make, make sense. And I think it, it was like to be, I mean, Klopp's obviously not perfect and it's obviously not all on him either. He has a whole coaching staff. And I think it was to, to an extent, there was a coaching issue where they didn't want to adapt. But like you said, it, it's like, he should have the benefit of the doubt of like, this is, I know this works, so I'm going to keep trying it. And that Sheffield United match was the first one I've seen where it's like, I could tell they were trying something different. They were trying to feed balls through the middle and get the ball to, to Salah and Mane and Firmino, trying to get them the ball on the ground and let them create on their own. And it worked, obviously. Um, although both of their goals were honestly kind of weird goals, but they had a lot, they had a lot of chances that were really good chances that they created playing in kind of a different style. And then when you have that many good chances, you're going to benefit. Yes. They're kind of like, like the Firmino goal deflected off somebody. I think they technically counted it as an own goal, which was kind of stupid. I thought that was stupid. It was because he, I mean, he shot and it deflected and went in, you should get credit for the goal. But uh, when you create that many good chances, like you're going to get lucky goals. Like it's a numbers thing. You're going to hopefully score some not lucky, but if you're, if you're putting that many shots on goal, you're going to get deflections like the Curtis Jones goal. You're going to get uh, own goals or, or defenders trying everything they can to just stop the ball from, from going towards the goal and deflect them in like on the Firmino goal. And so I, I think if, maybe they've figured something out there on, on how they can play going forward. And the last thing I'll say about that is I think a huge thing, which he could be back for Chelsea is, which has kind of been like the lost injury of this season is Diego Jota. Yeah. Who I think people have just kind of forgotten about, cause it's been such a like brutal last few months and you've, Obviously, the Van Dyke injury is like the one that everybody talks about and the center back issues. He was like the ideal Liverpool signing, I think. When you think back to the Mane, Salah, getting these guys who have experience playing, like you said, in, in, in the top five leagues and are young, relatively cheap, and it's more clubs being like, yeah, we think this guy's as good as he's ever going to be where we play. Maybe one of the big clubs will, will pay for him and we can turn that into buying like six new players because that's how those smaller clubs have to operate. And I mean, when he came in, he was like a breath of fresh air. He was taking starts away from Firmino because it was like he just puts the ball in the back of the net. And I think that's what they've been missing. Like you said, it, he even, I mean, Jada is not even a true number nine. He yeah. can kind of play on the wing or up top, wherever you want him to play. But he is a goal scorer. He finds finds the back of the net. And that's kind of what they've been missing is somebody who in these close games, it's like just put the ball at his feet and let him create some magic. And that's kind of what they've been missing. And so I think him coming back, if they've kind of figured more out, being able to rotate him in with the top three, let those guys get some like rest for the first time in years and 
Um, I, I think they could make a good run through, through the end of the season. I mean, I'm looking at the schedule here. They've got 12 games remaining. They've only got two games against teams that are ahead of them in the standings. Chelsea, which is on Thursday, and then United, Manchester United, which isn't until, like, the end of the season. There are 12 games. Of those 12 games, nine of them are against teams in the bottom half of the table. There is ample opportunity here to make up ground. You're talking about teams like Aston Villa, Leeds United, Newcastle, West Brom, Burnley, and Palace, who are – pretty mediocre or outright bad. There is ample opportunity to get some of your guys going again, take advantage of your schedule, get back into a Champions League spot, which is important, especially this year where they haven't been able to sell tickets where their revenue is taking a hit because each round you go deeper in the Champions League, you make more money. The higher you finish in the table, the more money you get in. And I'm assuming there's going to be some roster turnover this summer, I don't think they're going to bring Wijnaldum back because it just seems like they've had ample opportunity to get an extension done. And Fenway Sports Group doesn't want to give him an extension because he's 30 years old. He will be expensive. Losing him for a free transfer is not great asset management. It's something that Liverpool has done pretty well historically since Klopp has come in is when they realize they're either not going to be able to extend a guy or they don't have a use for someone anymore. They sell him to fund an additional transfer. And that's where I want to kind of take the conversation now is talking about going into next season, whether that when that comes around, whether that's the traditional August start or maybe a little bit later on because the season might start, this season might run a little bit longer than a typical season. Just we've addressed, they need a center back, they need a striker. But as far as guys, you're a little bit worried. I do think there is a legitimate chance a big club, a bigger club tries to steal one of Mane or Salah. I know Barcelona is dealing with a lot of problems right now, but they want to throw money at their problems. Real Madrid is always willing to throw money at their problems. Do you have any concerns about losing someone who's still an important part of this team? Or do you think that that's kind of the shot in the arm the club needs of a, all right, well, we just got $200 million for Mane. Maybe we should use that to reinvest in the rest of our club. Um, I personally don't think Salah or Mane is going anywhere, mm-hmm. um, at least this summer. Um, but if one of them does, like I was saying, I don't think it would be like the worst thing in the world. It's kind of what we saw with when obviously we sold Coutinho and everybody at the time was kind of like, oh, this is like same old Liverpool because that's what they've done for years is anybody who is worth a lot of money, eventually they would just kind of sell them off and be like, I mean, before Fenway Sports Group came in, the owners were broke, like the owners (laughs) had no money. And so if they had anybody worth a lot of money, like Coutinho was, they would just sell them and then not really buy much back in return they would just kind of keep that profit because they needed the money um whereas when Fenway Sports Group came in and and sold Coutinho um that money was reinvested to buy Van Dyke and that was pretty much the difference in being a pretty good team to being a great team because as talented and uh creative and as as good as Coutinho was you could find somebody to kind of fill that spot. I mean, he would play on the wings once in a while, and it's like, okay, we'll just play Salah and Mane more. Or you would play him 
as like an attacking midfielder and we just be like oh we'll sign Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain for 15 million dollars and and he can just rotate in with Lalana and Milner and Henderson and they made just like smarter moves and so I think like as as incredible as as Mane is if you sell him and then can buy another center back to to be able to mix in with with Van Dyke and Gomez when they're healthy and if you can buy another midfielder and buy a another guy to play on the wing who's just like a little bit less expensive than than Mane and you'll have uh Jota back healthy and they'll be able to to mix in together on that left wing um I don't think it would be a terrible thing um I think they're gonna sell Origi 100 Mm percent which is very sad because he's given us some of the best memories ever he scored the second goal in the Champions League final that sealed the deal he had the goals uh corner taken quickly against Barcelona he had the game winner uh, against Everton in the 96th minute or whatever, the one that went off the the double doink goal. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's going to be sad, but it's time for him to go. Um, You're not going to get a ton of money for him just because he hasn't played very well in in a long time. But I think I, and even more sad, I, I think Firmino has to go. Um, I think Firmino is still very valuable because um, I think he's really respected um, by by people all across the sport and somebody would be willing to to pay a lot of money for him, which I think he deserves to be paid a lot of money. I think it's just gotten to the point with Liverpool where they just need something different at, at that number nine. Um, I think the the way they're team is going what we've seen this season is they need somebody in that spot who's a a true goal scorer and I'm not saying that Firmino is like not good because there are people out there on on Twitter and people that say like oh Firmino sucks because he doesn't score goals like that's obviously not true he's been such like an integral part to the teams that have won so much and anytime you hear Salah and Mane particularly they're like he makes our life so much easier. Like we would not score as many goals as we did if he didn't get into the position. Like he's one of the smartest players in the league. Probably he's just always in like the right position to make defenses have to work so much harder. Um, And he's just like such a likable guy. He's got the biggest smile on the entire planet. And like you, we were talking about way earlier, like he was one of the very first guys that came in, um, in this kind of new era and was on some of those really shitty, still kind of mediocre teams. Um, And so it'll be sad, but I I think he has to go and that money will be hopefully used to buy a new striker. Who's a real striker. The dream scenario is, I know what you're about to say, is Holland or Mbappe. Mbappe's, I think a longer shot. I think he's probably going to go to Spain um, or Italy or somewhere where they're going to probably pay him more money than, than Liverpool would pay him. Um, it'd be awesome. I know he, he loves Klopp and, and I think it would be amazing if he came to Liverpool, but I think that's doubtful. I think Holland on the other hand, I think is pretty realistic. Um, 
I think he's not going to stay at, at Dortmund very long. And he loves Klopp. And he has said in the past that he thinks Liverpool is like the greatest club in Europe and that that's somewhere he would love to be. I mean, he, his, uh, the, the sporting director, I think was his title, um, at, at Red Bulls where he came from before, um, Dortmund literally said, yeah, he's going to end up at Liverpool one day, just came out and said it. And, um, so I, I, I think that's the dream scenario is you sell Firmino, you sell Origi, and then you bring in Holland to play that as a, a true striker with keep Mane and Salah on the wings. You can, I think Genie's going to go as well, like you said. And then, I mean, if we start next Premier League season with Allison and goal, Robertson, Gomez, Van Dyke, Trent, back four, Tiago, Henderson, um, I guess Curtis Jones. Yeah, I can see Jones. And then Salah, Holland, Mane. I think that's the best eleven in the league. If if that's if that's the eleven, and then you'd have to add some depth signings, obviously at center back for sure. Um, and up top with, and uh, you'd have Diogo too. And I mean, I I think they're in a good position where they they can sell some and 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 still make a run and and be at the the elite level for the next couple of years. So the last thing I want to talk to you about before I get you out of here and we both go about our Tuesdays is. How do you feel about how the last year and a half, how Fenway Sports Group has handled the transfer window? Because like you said, the only real big signing they made this last summer was Tiago, and they signed two center backs at the last possible minute going into the winter transfer window this past January. And they've really had an apprehension to spend money right now. I, I know we, you and I both joked when they, tra- they uh, signed um, Davies and um, Kubak that the Red Sox had made a trade earlier that same day to clear a little money off of their books. And yeah. they traded Ben attendee to the Royals. And we had made the joke that, well, okay, Liverpool signing coming up. And then literally within 24 hours of the Ben attendee trade, they had more money. Do you feel like there's a little bit of concern there that they are try- they're pinching pennies a little bit too close that back earlier in the window, the winter window, meaning that if they had made a move a little bit earlier, this season was still a little bit more salvageable that they waited until it was an absolute crisis. And by then it was already too late. Do you think there's a real concern there with how the last year and a half have gone with transfers? Because like we said, the injuries, you couldn't predict them. You, you knew there was going to be a little bit of regression, but at the same time, do you think it's reasonable to say that, well, there were opportunities to get better if they just weren't taken? Yeah, I think that's definitely fair to say. I think, looking back at like I, I mentioned earlier the era of ownership before Fenway Sports Group it's given Fenway Sports Group a lot of goodwill over the, and obviously just because of the success they've had it's been like whatever it's working um, but I think even in the summer after they won the Champions League going into that next Premier League season it was like hey 
I understand we just won a Champions League and finished second in the Premier League, but like maybe we could make a couple signings and like bolster some things. And whether it was a money issue or I think there is somewhat of a disconnect where Klopp wants a certain type of player. And that's what's made him so successful is that he he knows what type of players will fit into his system. And then when they're in, it works. Um, so I, I think there is a bit of an issue. And I, I guess neither party is really at fault um, where it's like Fenway Sports Group says, like, this is our budget. This is our transfer budget. And Klopp says, and Michael Edwards is like, well, these three guys that we need to fill this hole, like, fit into our budget and Klopp says well I don't think any of those three guys fit into what I want to do this guy does and he's worth he's too expensive and so when you have a team that's already winning everybody's just kind of like all right I guess we just won't sign anybody because we don't want to just waste money and sign somebody that that Klopp doesn't want um and I think that's what ended up happening with uh with Davies and Kabak is I don't think they're going to be there for very long. Obviously, uh, Davies was a super cheap uh, buy, and Kabak is technically on a loan. Um, and we can buy him if he ends up fitting in properly. But um, both were very like low-risk signings um, that I think we wouldn't have made if it wasn't like a desperate situation. Because I think Klopp and probably Michael Edwards, too, are so particular about the type of players they want. Um, that if if the right guy they aren't just going to buy like which is Liverpool's was Liverpool's biggest problem for a while like you were saying with Benteke and and Colo Torre and these guys it was like oh we have a hole at center back let's go spend 35 million dollars on like 30 year old Colo Torre and it's like no it's it's just it's not smart business um and so I think they've almost been too particular about who they want to sign to a fault. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I think it's a combination of a Klopp Edwards and Fenway sports group issue. Um, I'm not overly concerned. I think you just have to look at it realistically that there's Manchester city oil money. Um, Chelsea's kind of there at this point with the amount of money they have. And then there's like everybody else. Yeah. Um, and if you, you like end up, I don't know, like if, if you don't have that level of ownership, then you kind of just have to realize this is who you have and, and just hope that, that they can make smart business, which they've done for the last couple of years. And I think this summer is going to be the really telling one because mm -hmm. I think they could, have the excuse the last two summers of saying oh we just had 96 points in the premier league and won a champions league we could make some signings but we don't need to if we don't have the right guy or last summer we just won the premier league we don't need to make any more big signings but here you go here's tiago here's a good a creative center fielder that's what people want is is a center fielder who's uh um a little bit more more creative than uh like Wijnaldum or whoever and 
I think they weren't thinking very proactively. Um, Cause like I said, I thought they should have signed center back depth. And then that obviously ended up being the thing that they needed the most. And then they had to kind of scramble and sign a couple of random guys late in the, the winter window. And so, yeah, I, th- I think we'll be able to answer that question better after this summer, if they are, can come to terms with the fact that maybe they have to sell somebody like Bobby Firmino, who's been a, such a central part of the club for so many years now and realize it's business. He's got to go and bring in younger blood and, and make some, some depth signings. And then I, so I say, as of now, I'm cautiously optimistic still about family sports group. And also kind of, because I think John Henry has kind of made it clear. He cares more about Liverpool than he does about the Red Sox. Like we were saying with the Ben attendee trade, he was like, I will, trade like a beloved member of the Red Sox like fan favorite player so that I can (laughs) go out and loan Ozan Kabak and buy (laughs) Ben Davies like who who will probably not even be on Liverpool's team one uh, at least one of them will probably not be on Liverpool's team like at the start of next season so um is if I was a Red Sox fan, I would be pissed, <laughs> Yeah, um, but I don't care about the Red Sox. And so I honestly think if it came down to it, John Henry would, would shell out the money for Liverpool before he would for the Red Sox. So I guess that's a good thing for us. Um, but so I, I would say my final answer is cautiously optimistic that, that there's still the right people to be in charge. So I'm going to get you out of here on this note. Holland's reported buyout in his contract is only 80 million. As far as like wonder kids, super players, that's not a ton of money in soccer terms, $80 million for a transfer. That is entirely feasible. If Liverpool sells a player, they're still operating on a transfer surplus of about 40 million from over the last few years, they sold a couple of guys. So realistically, you only have to sell one or two players and you can make a Holland transfer happen. Like where can the people find you on Twitter and tell us a little bit about spread investor because you work there as well so my twitter is at blakey locks um and so what we so at spread investor it is constantly growing as of right now what we're doing um for a long time it was one guy running a twitter account and just giving out his picks and then it grew into a a bigger thing and started selling more like information and and stuff that's not just like oh here's the heat minus three and a half tonight it's like here's information and you can do what you want with it which I think is a a much more like important thing for people in the sports betting space to be doing Mm -hmm. um I've like you said at the very beginning of the show I I've never sold a pick in my life it's not something I particularly believe in um there's some people that do it and there's some people who I'm not, not everybody that does it is like a scumbag. Cause there are <laughs> some people who are legitimate and people I know that are legitimately like they are professional betters. They're like, I bet two or three games a week and they I've hit at this percentage for this many years. And it's like proven and it's like legit. And it's like, fair enough. If you, if you, 
can do that, then go ahead. But there are so many people that sell picks that are just, they aren't, they don't win long-term. They're scumbags, they're losers. Um, and so what I do at Spread Investor, we did in the NFL, we had a newsletter, which was basically 10 to 15 pages of information recapping the week before previewing matchups coming up just long lists of trends and stats that go into to matchups in the upcoming week um and obviously it was a really successful football season we won a lot um which means that the information was good um and we will be doing the same thing for march madness um which spread investor has been doing for years and was kind of i think one of the, it was before I got there. Um, I've only been there for uh, almost a year now, actually, but um, the March Madness thing is kind of what grew Spread Investor into like a big thing. It's such a good product that I used to buy it before I worked there. Um, It's just an awesome product. It's from, yeah, like Illinois, Gonzaga, these teams that are, everybody knows all the way, but all the way down to, to like the automatic bids from the small conferences like really good information on all those teams even if you don't really bet like if you fill out a bracket like it will really help you if you're in a bracket pool if you just like love watching the tournament and want to know more about the teams um it's really not very expensive and it's a really really good product so um look out for that it'll be coming out obviously after selection sunday um and yeah follow me at blakey locks and uh you can subscribe to my podcast hedging is for gardeners nick has been on there a couple times um and yeah it's a sports betting podcast but just talk a lot about sports in general if you're not a better um i think it's still a good listen so um yeah and i write at gothamsn.com at Gotham SN on Twitter, just like you. I'm as soon as we get off this, I'm actually writing a blog about The Bachelor from last <laughs> night. So, <laughs> lots of different angles. If if you're interested, I, all audiences can uh, tune in. We do a lot of good stuff. Thank you for coming, Blake. It was a lot of fun. I've been itching to talk about Liverpool. This was fun. Yeah. No. Thanks. I had a great. As you can tell, I was I talked a lot. <laughs> if I talk too much, I'm sorry. I had a lot to say. So yeah. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. All right. I will see you guys tomorrow. Not sure what our Thursday episode is going to be. Friday is going to be baseball look ahead stuff. So that'll be fun. Chris Schweitzer will be coming back on to talk baseball. I will see you guys tomorrow.